show of hands, uh, how many of you were here for uh, Tuesday night's conversations about marriage with, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, that's pretty good. There, there were, by the way, there were like, I don't know, Shannon's gone, 180 people were here for that, 180 plus. So um, I'm going to put a plug in for that right now. We were doing this for three weeks, it's on Tuesday nights, or, and you don't have to have been to the first one to come to the next two, we'd love to have you. It was fantastic. You can go to our website to get more information, or maybe I'll say something about it in the announcements. I don't have all the details in my head at the moment. It was fantastic. So um, some of you came, and then uh, was it good? Show of hands. It was okay. You have to say that, right? Um, those of you planning to come back, right? Right. Those of you uh, saying you're planning to come back, but you have no intention of coming back uh, because you don't want to be talked to by uh, the person you came with. It was real. Uh, the the, co- the point of the co- point of the night was to have some real conversations about marriage. I'm, I'm going to pray for just a minute because I think that if if you weren't here on Tuesday night, we're going to kind of go down deeper into this crucible that's called the family and marriage. And and if the response is similar in this crowd to what it was in the first, you may not physically go out those doors, but you may emotionally check out at some point because there's going to be a vice that's going to be applied to squeeze here. So let's pray. Let's just pray for a moment. God, thank you for putting us in a vice. Thank you for putting us in a crucible. Squeeze us. And out of what that squeezing, build our character. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Tim Keller has said that the Bible is an, has an absolutely unsentimental view. Absolutely unsentimental view about family and about marriage. And there's two ways you can, there, there's two ways in the culture that we usually look at marriage and neither one of them are the fullest view, or certainly the, the full view that the Bible has. On the one hand, there's a very cynical view that is out there, you know, that marriage, you know, it doesn't really matter, it's just a piece of paper, or that it's something you can sort of get into, get out of, and you shouldn't have too many expectations. It's pretty a low, cynical look at what marriage can be. On the other hand, there's a conservative, and I'm going to call it idol, and it's an, an idol, something of worship that traditional people hold, um, and not just Christians, but many types of traditional people, and that's that family is all about white picket fences and kids that are smiling. And what we know is that neither of those is really true. When the Bible, when God sees, this is one of the things, when God sees, he sees things as they really are. And he sees the good, and he sees the bad, and he sees the potential good and the potential bad. He has an unsentimental view. In families, Frankly, we are often crushed, and it's in that crushing that character is formed. Probably one of the most unsentimental views of family is found in a story of a woman named Leah. And this is her story today. I'm going to focus on Leah, although I've got to set the background by talking about the other people in her family. Leah had a sister. Her name was Rachel. Rachel was beautiful. Leah was ugly. Now that, just saying that, is hard. I didn't say she was homely. She was ugly. The Bible said she was ugly. People, she was the kind of person when people looked at her, they did one of two things. They talked about her. They teased her. They bullied her. Or they looked away because they didn't want to be caught staring too long. Rachel was beautiful. 
Leah was ugly. We don't know exactly why. We know it had something to do with her eyes. The language in the Hebrew is unclear. We don't know if her eyes were maybe crossed. We don't know if they were bulbous. We don't know if one was put out. We don't know if they were asymmetrical. We know that she was a difficult person to look at. She was utterly unattractive. And she knew this from the time she was born. People said it of her. It gets worse. She had a father named Laban, the sort of father that loves one child more than he loves the other. And you can imagine that he was the sort of father that doesn't love the downtrodden or the least. He loved the best and the most beautiful. He loved Rachel, and he did not love Laban. I mean, so he did not love Leah. It's just that stark. That set off a kind of character in this family that went on for generation after generation after generation after generation as each succeeding generation lived out that character of jealousy between these two women. And these two women went on to become basi basically become the mothers of the entire, of all the tribes of Israel. So when we talk about the tribes of Israel, Judah, Dan, Nassikar, you know, I'll go through the whole list. These are their mothers. And, and that kind of jealousy that went forward to the point, if you know some of the stories later, where the, the young half-brother Joseph is, is kidnapped, and then they're trying to decide, are they going to kill him, or are they going like, to give him up, and they sell him off into slavery? That, that jealousy and that hatred, that came from the kind of preference that was shown towards Joseph. So this, this preferential treatment in the parents just goes on and on and on, and Leah was born into that. Uh, it's, just, it's just awful. So in that time, women were given to be married, and, and they didn't choose, and typically they were given just right around the time that they became came to childbearing age, or maybe a little before even. And so... This is the kind of man Laban is. He looks at, looks at her, looks at Leah, and he thinks, I'm never going to be able to get rid of her. I'm stuck with her. And so uh, a man named Jacob comes along, and Jacob loves Rachel. And he asks Laban to be married, asks if he, if he can be married to Rachel. And through a set of Schemings. I'm not going to tell you exactly what hap how it happened, but there was a bunch of scheming that happened. Laban managed to get Jacob to marry Leah first. He didn't know he was marrying her. And then when Jacob came back and said, you tricked me, he got him to work for seven more years so that he would earn the affections of Rachel. That's the dad. That's the good news. The first state, being with the father, was better than the second state, which was being with Jacob. Jacob was carrying on him the burden of a promise that came from his father that he would be the one through whom all the generations of the world would be blessed. He was aggressive and assertive and himself a conniver, and he was willing to increase his progeny to see that promise fulfilled in a way that was sometimes, in, you know, 
done the right way, but often very twisted and very bent as well. So before Leah was in hell, and now she goes into double hell. Here's what happens. She was with a father that didn't love her, and now she's with a man. Maybe, maybe she, I mean, it's not unusual. She looked at the man that was going to be her husband, and she said, maybe he will love me, and he didn't. He despised her. He used her. And what's worse is he selected her sister, the beautiful one, and married her as well. It's just terrible. Her life is a living hell. Now, because we're modern people, we, we think, you know, maybe this is like Afghanistan or some developing country or somebody else, but I, I, I don't know this. And, and, and maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, well, this is why I hate the Bible. You know, it's, this is just tribal and male-dominant and sinful. You have some way you're looking at it and this is, why does the Bible use these kinds of lives as the example? This guy's a patriarch? My goodness gracious, couldn't you pick better people? Exactly. Exactly. That, 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 that's the point. See, I, I think... This rings so true for me. And, and I'll show you how. And then think of your own story, and you'll, you'll realize it rings true for you as well. When my mother-in-law, Lucille, was growing up, she had a sister that, with whom she was close to in age, a sister named Bonnie. And Bonnie and Lucille were probably about like Leah and Rachel in terms of age. The difference is they loved each other very much. They did life through thick and thin. Um, but Lucille and Bonnie had a grandmother. And the grandmother loved Bonnie and mistreated Lucille. Now, some of you know or knew my mother-in-law before she passed away. And you know that she's not the sort of person that had this kind of treatment coming. I mean, when you're just a girl and you're just 10 years old, you don't have this kind of treatment coming. The kind of treatment where a grandmother brings two daughters in front of her and she says, I have one piece of candy and I'm going to give it to Bonnie. And off they go. The sort of grandmother who used as a nickname for her granddaughter a little hickory nut-headed idiot. Now, I, I didn't know what that meant, and so I asked Kathy when we were coming today, like, well, what does that mean exactly? And Kathy said, I don't know. But it does not mean my little peanut. So I'm going to assume something here. And my assumption is this. Some of us have parents like Laban, and some of us have grandparents like Lucille's grandmother. And I'm going to make another assumption that left unchecked, the character of those people will come to bloom in us as well. The, the stakes are incredibly high. The stakes are that we will become the full bloom of Laban ourselves. Religious, but just like Laban. We'll become just like the mother-in-law or just like the grandmother if we're not careful. The stakes are incredibly high. And so the opportunity is this. The opportunity is to be changed and to be transformed. And this isn't like a leadership conference when they're like, you get three points to do this. This is really, the Bible says, not by might, not by strength, not by power, but by my spirit that this transformation takes place. And we're going to see how that happens. It's, it's not just those extreme cases of abuse that we need relief from. 
I don't want to let everybody. I want everybody to kind of check off here in memory and say, "Oh, I don't have any abuse in my background, so I'm off the hook." You know, it. We we all have these unhealthy dependencies on things or desires to get good things from the wrong places. That there's there's nothing wrong with anything. Acceptance is good. Love is good. Uh, an amount of power is good. Hope is good. Those are good things, but the problem happens in our lives when we seek to obtain them from places where they're from the wrong source, from people. And, and even though the relationships and the families are, are where we're supposed to have relationships, when we look and we depend on people in our families too much for those kinds of things, in the least bad case, we'll be disappointed because people always disappoint. And in the worst case, our misery is just compounded and it becomes worse. So in the midst of her misery, Leah bears four children, her first four children. And as she names her children, you're going to hear the conversation she's having with God, and you're going to see her character and how in the relationship with God and in the midst of that crucible, her character is transformed, it's forged. And so it's going to be up here. It's found in Genesis 29, 31 through 35, and this is the text. Now when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It's because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will, now, will love me now. And she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I'm not loved, he gave me to this one, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. And again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So she named him Levi. And then she conceived again, and she gave birth to a son, and she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. And then she stopped having children. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of detail on this, but... We miss a lot because this isn't in our own language. In the Hebrew language, each of these names sounds like another thing. And so you can kind of put together what's happening. Reuben sounds like the words, I see. Simeon sounds like the words, I hear. Levi sounds like the words, I attach. Think of like a, a, a three-part chord that's twisted and braided together. It's, it's, uh, that's the essence. It's attached. It's strong. And Judah sounds like, I praise. And so as she names her children, she's naming them out of her experience, out of her pain, and out of the changing character from dependency to something else. You know, when you look at these first three, what's she saying? Because God has seen me, now maybe my husband will see me. Because God has seen my affliction, now maybe my husband will will hear me. Now because I've borne him a third son, maybe my husband will attach himself to me. Well, Jacob never sees her. He never hears her. He never attaches himself to her. And so she's having children. And this is really bent and warped. She is having children so she can please a man who thinks that through the whole world, his progeny is going to become the blessing of the world. That's a power play. 
And she, in her brokenness, that, you know, we talked on Tuesday night, if you were here, about the normal of one, my family is not the normal of your family. And when our two normals come together, something very abnormal happens. And this is, and this is it. She is desperate for love. He is desperate for progeny and success. He's the sort of man that will sleep with a woman that he doesn't love in order to have his future. She's an absolute hell. And she's the sort of woman that would manipulate him to get the love that she wants to feel because she's only feeling it when she's having his children. This is a setup. This is a setup. This is how bent this character stuff becomes. But, but God doesn't want to leave us in the bent place. God wants to help us. God wants to transform us. He wants to give us his character. And so when the fourth child comes, she, something different happens. She just says simply, I will praise the Lord. She stopped looking at the husband, right? She stopped looking at Jacob. Some character has been built. Circumstances justify that Leah will be bitter, that she'll be depressed. Circumstances justify that she will continue to try to gain the affections or the love of somebody by continuing to work harder and to be better. But something changes, and she doesn't do any of those things. She's released from her dependency, and it's expressed just in this simple praise to God for what he's doing in the, in the absolute insanity and chaos of this family. This family has not changed. She's the one that's been changed. Up until the birth of Judah, she is floundering. She is absolutely drowning. The image I want you to have is of a woman who's in a sea and she's going down and she's coming back up and she can't swim, she can't make it to the shore and there's nothing for her to go get a hold of and she is going down and she's absolutely fighting for her life and drowning and then suddenly it stops. She stops floundering, she stops looking to the husband for love and she stops looking to something else. She starts looking to God. I will praise the Lord. And when that moment happens, what does she get? Life. She was never alive. She was in hell before. The definition of hell is, is enmity, it's, it's separation, it's isolation. She gets life. She gets connection. She really finds who she is. I, I'm, I'm going to speculate something in her transition here, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm willing to speculate this. It's not, a, it's not in the Bible, but it should be. Um, how about that? <laughs> if I had been there. Okay. Here it is. For all the mothers in the house. There's a moment in this unwritten scripture I have where Leah is alone with one of these sons. And the son is an infant and the son cries. And at the sound of the crying, everything in Leah responds. You know what I'm saying? Her milk comes. Her desire is towards her child. In that moment, everything that she is is for that child. And she reaches down and she picks up the son. And she takes him to her, her breast. And there's the smell, the sweet smell that's happening. The child is ravenous and begins to nurse. And the child looks up and looks her in the eyes. And what does the baby see? Bulbous eyes? Asymmetrical eyes? 
does the baby see something ugly? For the first time, first time maybe, she sees someone that looks her in the eyes and sees her beauty. Someone that sees her, hears her, attaches to her, loves her. That's going to go one of two ways. That could be God helping her to get free from the need to be loved by her husband, or it's just the next dependency, the need to be loved by her children, the need to live through her children. It can go either way. What's important for us to see here is this. This is the truth I want us to see. Is that in these first three cries, she's always looking for somebody else to change. Because God has done this for me. Maybe now my husband will be different. Maybe my husband will see me. Maybe now my husband will hear me. Maybe now my husband will attach to me. And then the last prayer, which is really a confession, she says, I'm the one who's been changed. I will praise God. Leah's crying over and over and over, my Lord, and we don't quite get that word here either. There's, the Hebrew language is rich with names for God. We just have a couple, but their language is so rich. And we know that from her cry that she's crying out to God in the most personal of all names. And it's not like she's just saying, oh God, she's really crying out, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord. It's like in the plural, actually. It's like multiple times over and over and over. It's the personal name for God. God saw her in her distress, and he saves her, pulls her out of that water, puts the spirit down inside of her. And where there was, no, where there was nothing before but rejection, now there's comfort and there's joy. God has eyes to seek and save the lost. God has eyes to find the lost and the broken. He absolutely sees. He absolutely hears. He absolutely attaches. He absolutely loves the most broken, the most downtrodden, and the least. And he restores them with his spirit. Now, here's the verse in Galatians that speaks to this for us, that when we come into this relationship with God, that he sends the spirit into our hearts and the crying out, Abba, or Daddy, Father, in Galatians 4, 6. Not by might, not by power, but by God's Spirit. It's this transition, the receiving of these things is going to happen. God's eyes are very different than ours. God's eyes are long-sighted. My eyes, your eyes, we're short-sighted. You know, my solution to her problem, I just smack everybody down, and we fix this problem real quick. There's two problems with that. One is, I'm going to get a big smacking if God ever comes back down and smacks people around. And I want mercy. I don't want justice. I don't want that. But the second one is this. The fourth child, Judah. This is, this name, Judah, this is the name from which the word Jewish comes from. So from the least of these, from Leah, from the ugly one, is going to come the name, the moniker, for the entire 12 tribes, all the tribes, they will be called Judah. They will be called Jews. It comes from his name. If, if you go down her lineage far enough, you're going to come across some pretty big names. David is in there. Rahab is in there. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. Now, I would have solved the problem by smacking everybody down, but God's solution 
is to save them all. I want a solution right now, and God really desire is to give us salvation in eternity. A French novelist, uh, Marcel Proust, said, the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeing new landscapes, but in having new eyes. And so this is kind of the, the distillation of the talk today. God sees things, and he helps us to see those things anew. God helps us to see things anew. Having been seen by God and filled with the Spirit, Leah, this downtrodden, just comes out with this praise. You know, think of it. We, we have her exact word, but I'm going to kind of broaden this out a little bit. In Psalm 22, 3, there's this verse that says, God, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of your people. Now, when we praise, I'm going to kind of unpack this word. Praise means to give value, to ascribe value to something. In this case, to tell God how great he is. Maybe that seems a little weird to you, but this is a, t- and if it does, that's a signal. Because it takes a real freedom in your heart to give God praise and to describe value to him. And here she's doing, here is those words. God, you are holy. That's the value statement of God. You are holy. And you're enthroned on the praises of your people. You are, when I praise you, you are enthroned in my life. Now, that means he's taking control and moving in and redeeming my life. But in a way, what's also happening is my life is becoming more expansive and I'm making more room for him to come in. And I'm gaining that abundance of character that I so desperately want. Because when character comes into my life, I'm going to be more free. I'm going to have more life, more like Christ, more real Christ life. Leah gets new eyes, and she can see that she's loved and lovable. And I know this is a a big one for some of you, because you were told you weren't lovable, and you believe that your whole life. And we're many times acting in ways that that are really crazy because we're trying, we don't even, we don't even think we're lovable ourselves. A good scripture for you to memorize is found in 2 Corinthians where it says, it doesn't matter what people think about me. Got that. Your therapist told you that. It also doesn't matter what I think about myself. Ah, that's, that's different. That's how Christianity is different. It only matters what God thinks about me. And he'll judge my, and he'll judge me. How does God see you? It's not like I'm loved, I'm lovable, I write it on my mirror, and if I say it ten times in the morning, I'll, I'll be a better person. No, no. God sees you, remember I said, in an unsentimental fashion. He sees the warts, he sees the good. All those things don't attract nor distract from him. What attracts him is your need and your desire to be his. So you don't have to have anything except need to be in good with God. You only have to have need. So if you feel unloved and unlovable, the way through that is not to just repeat some mantra over and over, I'm loved, I'm lovable. No, it's to ask God to show you who you really are, to show him your real character, warts and all, and to know that he loves you because that's who he is. He is the God of love. He's full of love, and he's going to make you that same kind of person. In a moment, we'll get to that in a second. Okay. Leah can see new eyes. She can see that she's loved and she's lovable. She can see a new way. She can, with these new eyes, she can find a path out of her dependency and her sin. That's huge. With her new eyes, she can start to see that Laban and Jacob and even herself 
are not monsters, that they're not in the category of monsters, that they're broken and fallible people that God loves and they're redeemable. And Leah can also see this long view that even though my current situation is this and it's not changing any time soon because her, life, her, her situation does not really change that much after this, she can see that in time will come the Messiah, the, the Holy One of Israel that's going to save the whole earth, save everybody. All, all of salvation is going to come through her progeny. And she can see that she is that person. It's her moment of purpose. With those kind of eyes, you can see your moment of purpose. What does this mean for us? What, if we have these eyes. If you're here and you're searching for God, what I want you to hear is this. God has eyes for you. Have eyes for God. There's a verse in Second Chronicles. Liz, I'm going to read it when you get it up here. Thank you. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And be that person. If you're the person that, if you're a person in the building and you don't know God and you're thinking, I want to do this, be the person whose heart is fully committed to him, that's searching for him, and he will and his eyes will be upon you. Just cry out, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, O oh Lord. That's good enough. What does this mean for us? If you're in an imperfect family, then there's great hope. In heaven, we have a father one day who will make our families perfect. But until then, he is going to use our very imperfect families to perfect our character. So rejoice in the difficulty of being in a family, and especially an imperfect one. And if you're someone who's a victim or someone that um, feels like they're not in control of their life, someone who has a right to be embittered, someone who has a right to be depressed or angry, then simply follow Leah's example and say, you know, I will praise the Lord. And you're going to go free. You'll get new eyes. The last one is this. This one was my own personal application in this. I, I like to think of when I kind of study something so... There's what happened, there's what's happening, there's what's, you know, what does this mean 10,000 years from now? Imagine this world just passes and there's a new Jerusalem, there's a, a new kingdom has come that God has burned all these heavens up and all this earth up and in its place he's made something new, he's made a new heavens and a new earth. What will this mean then? And I tried to imagine Leah in that place. Leah's been dead, you know, for 3,000 years. You know, she was just some girl that lived in some dusty Bible land, you know? But now Leah, we know, is in this new heavens and this new earth. And what is she like now? And does she have new eyes? Thought about it, thought about it. And what came back to me was this. No. I've got new eyes. In that place, I'll realize that all the things that God has made are beautiful. Because all of them were made for his purpose and his glory. In that world, I'll have the ability to look directly into her eyes and see the beauty and the glory and the power of God. So the question for me now is, can I look at the person that I find unattractive and see them? Can I listen to the person who's never heard, and who frankly I don't think is very smart, and hear them? Can I attach to somebody who I think 
doesn't have something to offer to me. Can I see people now and see the beauty that God has created them right now? Can I see? Can I hear? Can I attach? My response has got to be, I will praise God. Because I can't. Without him, I can't. I need him to help me to see because I'm blind. I need him to help me to hear because I'm deaf. I need him to help me to attach because I'm intimacy impaired. I need his eyes. Let's pray. God, thank you for a warehouse and for a place where we want to run out of buildings screaming la, 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 la. But you engage us and you transform us. And so I invite you, Lord, as we go from here into communion, that we will enter as, as much as possible fully into that communion with you, worshiping you and singing praises, bringing your glory back to you, telling you how great you are, telling you what value you are to us. I pray that we will attach. I pray that we will see. I pray that we will hear you. I pray that you will heal our physical wounds. I pray that you will bring emotional healing to us in this communion. In your son's name we pray. Amen. We're going to do communion now. A couple announcements here. Um, I'm going to start. I want to talk a little bit about Live Birds. Live Birds is for Warehouse something that's dear to my heart. So anyway, the deal is that Warehouse has a partner in Africa, in Zimbabwe specifically, called Live Birds. And, and what they are about is about providing income um, to folks that are impacted by HIV. The way that works is when people make money, they can have money to buy the nutrition that they need. When they have the nutrition they need, their meds work at full force, and they prosper. They live. So we're really excited about that. The way this happened is just like the talk earlier. Some team from Warehouse went, and they looked for some people in South, the Southern Africa, and it was a hard look. We didn't find many people that shared this vision, this creative vision we had of how to address HIV. Um, we thought we had seen, and then we saw people that did share that same vision, and we're like, ah, okay, we see the same thing. And then we heard the same thing, too. And then we attached to each other, and we have this wonderful partnership. And now they're continuing to grow and move out from just chickens, and they're doing taxis, too. So when they aren't porting chickens to be eaten, they're porting people, not to be eaten, but to, to, to someplace in town. It's just amazing the way this works. I mean, it's just really been incredible. And, and it's such an important part of what God has done, is doing at Warehouse and Stunt Warehouse, to just expand our horizons, to not just do the easy thing and not to just like give right a check and send a check over and God, or to really see and to hear and to attach in a way that is really the way we understand what God does in our own lives. We, Live Birds is not the only thing we have like that. We, we, we have the thing we do here on Sunday morning, but if, if, that's, if, that's, if it's only this, that's incestuous at best. You know, our mission goes outside of our walls to benefit people that will never be in these walls. In a pluralistic culture, the measure of success of an organization is how well it benefits people that are not its members. That's how 
that's how organizations are judged. How well does your organization benefit your non-members? Well, let's exceed expectations on that. When we do that, then the city will rejoice. Our neighbors will be glad. They won't be unhappy that we're prospering because they'll be prospering as well. That's a big vision. That's right out of the Bible, actually. When we do things like that, we do the Christmas time, Room in the Inn, the Family Promise, all the other things we do missionally that happen outside these walls, that takes resources of time and money. People are on the, on the Live Birds team give huge amounts of time to make that happen. And so I, I want to talk about, it's, a, it's our monthly financial update, and I want to remind you that when we give, we're not like giving to like this building or like this. The money is not for the stool. <laughs> you know, we have a mission, and we're giving to a mission to see, to hear, and to attach people to God. And, and last month, we, we missed our budget a bit, but every month it seems like we're making improvement. And I just really want to encourage us as a community to continue to walk out this promise that God has put in our hearts. That, that we're the people that are going to be missional and touch just the people that he's called us to touch and to give our lives and our resources, all those things towards it. Philippians 4.19 says, My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That is a lot of riches. So we're not scared. We're not afraid. We're saying, I will praise you. And that's going to happen. On live birds, I want to encourage you this way. There is, uh, we have an event coming up. People ask all the time, how's that live bird thing going? Um, and so I think there's going to be a taxi with some chickens in it, and there might be a, a live bird killing. I don't know. Um, you know the live bird thing. This is just this is just so lost on our English. You know what their 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 motto is for that great live taste. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I just had to put that out there. So if you want to know what that's about, then come on August 19th from 12 to 1 after church. We'd love to have you here. You can learn more about live birds. You guys ask about it all the time. Light lunch, childcare provided. Email us at africawarehouse242.org, and that way we'll have a head count. We'll know who's going to be here. Uh, next announcement is this. Kids Warehouse Game Night is Friday, August 24th, 6 to 8 p.m. We're hosting a back-to-school game night. I guess this is the last game before they get to have, before they have to actually go back to work, those little kids. Um, we would love for this to be about what's going on outside of our walls. So this is an opportunity for you to bring your kids, but also... You know, the ones from the neighborhoods and the ones that, like, you see just out on the road, I guess, on the way as well. Just grab them, bring them. Um, Four-year-old and up, or at least four years old in spirit and up, and for some of you, that means you can come too. Um, child care will be provided for the younger kids. Snacks and drinks are provided. Uh, RSVP, if you would, please, Shannon at warehouse242.org. Uh, this one is, uh, is a good one. We're uh, having a, basically, uh, you have an opportunity to learn about baptism. So if you're someone who's uh, come to faith or you're in faith and you're thinking, uh, you know, maybe I'd like to be baptized, and hey, I'll throw this one out there. Maybe you're not someone that's in faith, but you're interested in what baptism is about. Why don't you come and explore with us what baptism is about? Have a conversation about what's going on in baptism. August 26th here after the 1040 service. If you want to know more, baptism at warehouse242.org. We promise we will not manipulate you. There will not be thumb wrestling, and if you lose, you have to get baptized. Um, nothing weird like that. We're just there to answer your questions and to tempt you, I guess. Um, if there's more you want to know, because there's a lot more going on here at Warehouse than just those things, go to the skinny at warehouse242.org. This is our website. Click on that green tab, and you'll find all kinds of good stuff. Finally, I, 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 I got to believe that some things came loose in some of you, some of you today. And so 
we want to be able to pray about that with you. We want to be able to stand with you when you don't feel like you can stand for yourself. We can do that in one of three ways. I'm going to kind of graduate in graduated levels. You can email us at prayer at warehouse242.org with your request. We'll pray about it there. You can write it on one of these cards, the connecting cards, if you will, and drop your prayer request in these yellow boxes as you go out these doors. And the third way is, is everybody with me still? Over here, right? This corner over here, there'll be some folks who would love to pray with you afterwards. Let's overwhelm them. That'd be nice. Let's just go have a party in there and just kind of like let it out. It would be great. So we'd love to have that opportunity. Why don't you stand for the benediction? I want to try something here that could could, uh, be a remarkable failure, but let's try it. So I want you to get into your head a picture of the thing, okay? The picture of the thing that's keeping you down, the place where you are a victim. The place where you feel powerless, the place where you feel depressed, the place where you feel angry, the place where you feel like you have to take control of anything's going to get done. It's going to have to be you that does it. I want you to get a picture for that person or that thing. You got it? And I want you as to now say with me three times the words, I will praise him. I will praise him. I will praise him. I will praise him. Go free.